here I am, just passing time, waiting for Ken. And if it doesn't make it in the next three, two, one. All right, he's out. It's now the Aaron Show. We're going to listen to my music, talk about pop punk, everything that I'm writing. Let's do it. Hey, what's going on? Can you hear me? Oh, all right. Welcome to Native Tongues. All right. Our guest this week is a very endearing guy that plays music under the moniker Jupy. He just released his newest album, Brick Hill, this past January. He's previously played in bands in cities that he's lived in, including Baltimore, New York, and Chicago. He had plenty of good stuff to say about our lovely city of Baltimore. You can catch his next performance at the Auto Bar on March 5th. Let's welcome Julius Bodich. Hey. Hey, nice to meet you finally. Okay. Yeah, Ken. great to meet you too. I'm glad we made it work this week. Yes. Yeah, me too. Well, this is great. I was hoping you would have a good mic and a setup being a musician because we've talked to a number of people who seem like they've never been around a computer before. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. Especially, yeah, anyone who does writing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Enough to type and maybe that's it. Yeah. I'm like, the microphone doesn't go in your mouth. You have to take it out. You can't, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. So, uh, what are you up to today? So uh, today I have the day off, which is really great. I'm in I'm in law school right now, actually, as well as. Oh, no um, way. Yeah, uh, I just put out this new record. So I've been trying to be easy on myself for like a few weeks before uh, really cracking on the next one. But uh, so yeah, I'm nice. just like taking a day. My roommate is leaving for Mexico for uh, almost two months. So I, we had like a whole celebration yesterday and she left this morning. So now you have a nice, quiet place yourself. Yeah, exactly. And I live in Woodbury, so I'm going to do like a nice long walk in Druid Hill Park today. Really. Oh, awesome. Enjoy the weather. Beautiful day for it, too. Mm hmm. Uh, What do you think? Are you the type that will get stir crazy, though, like by yourself? Oh, absolutely. You have your cat. (laughs) Yeah, I have my cat pajama. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I'm definitely uh, I like having a a roommate. You know, I like not being I'm I'm definitely a very extroverted person. So I thrive off and like I'm like a social recharger, you know. Same. After like a crazy day, I like to go be with other people. So I get that. We actually yeah. we do this podcast so that Aaron can drain from me. Just just <laughs> sap everything that I have out of this. Is all, all it is. Oh my god! What we do in the shadows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah, like an energy exactly. vampire. That's I'm one of those for sure. Uh, we have an ongoing list of people we know that fall into that category. Indeed, I believe it. Yeah, I definitely have a list of my own. <laughs> so. You're in law school. You are writing music. Yeah. Yeah, I've been doing so I've been doing music for a long time, um, my whole life in different capacities. And my parents were musicians back in the 90s. So it's always been a big part of my my world. What kind of musicians? They were like grunge rockers. Oh, really? Yeah, they were awesome. They had this band Enormous that was pretty big for a minute in the mid to late 90s. Um, So until I was two, I lived in a van with them while they were on tour. Were they both in the band? Oh. Yeah, my mom sang and played bass. My dad did guitar and backup vocals, and they had a drummer. That's killer. Yeah, that's pretty fun. Yeah, they're so and yeah, they're they're still like. My mom is one of those people who will like wake up in the middle of the night with a full song in her head, you know, and just 
like have to like run to a guitar, like write it all down and then like go right back to bed. And there's, yeah, she's still does that to this day. So, okay. That's cool. So you grew up around noise. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, photos of me as a baby with the big giant headphones on, like <laughs> on the side of the stage during their shows. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get that, uh, pass it down? Do you, uh, is that your flow of inspiration? Does it just hit you when you go or is it a, no, I'm definitely, I mean, I've had it, that happen. Like, what is my mom? It's like where the like muse catches you or whatever. But I think for me, writing wasn't as instinctive. I think there's like very different kinds of songwriters. And some people just like have that moment where the lyrics, the whole thing is just in their head. And I think other people are composers, which I'm definitely not really a composer either. I'm somewhere in the middle where I feel like I'll have like a small idea and then it'll be the work is just building around something really small rather than like me having it all come together at once, if that makes sense. It does. I've read Paul McCartney's one of those people. I hate those people who can just <laughs> throw down a song in five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Throw down a good one. I could definitely throw something yeah. down. I don't think it would be great though. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's happened to me before. I've had like that one magic voice memo where I'm like, oh my God, all the lyrics are perfect. Everything song's done in one go. Mm -hmm. On my new record, my favorite song on my new record, Sandbox, is one of those songs for sure, where it was just, I have uh, this old Japanese synth called an Omnichord mm -hmm. uh, that's all over all of my music. And it was built in the 80s for like children to learn how to play music. So it's like you literally just press a button and it makes a noise and there's a strip on the side and everything in that strip is like in the same key. So it sounds like you're like shredding on a keyboard, but you're literally just doing that on like a little strip oh that's cool yeah and for me it's great because i'm not i have no idea how to play keys at all but yeah i was just dinking around on that and that whole song came out of me but none of the other songs in the album were quite like that for sure that's awesome it's your guitarist by trade um i'm actually for years i played bass in a bunch of bands in new york and uh that was like my main instrument jupy started initially as like a side project to other projects i was doing in new york and only really has developed into my primary focus during and then after the pandemic. Oh, nice. Yeah, not that the pandemic's fully over, but, you know, uh, at this stage of it, you know. Ish. We're, we're pandemic-ish now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> pandemic-ish. I like that. Yeah. Right. Though right now, it's a little gnarly. We're in like a big old wave right now. So Yeah. yeah. Um, yep. It's come around. Come around quite a bit. So where, where's the name from? Jupy. Mm -hmm. So I went to Fordham University in New York for undergrad and... When I graduated, I moved to Bushwick with a bunch of my friends. And one of the kids we moved in with, I didn't know, but it was like friends of friends. His name is, is Christian. He's a very good friend of mine still. He just started calling me Jupy when we moved, moved in together. And I'd never really had a nickname since I was like a little kid. You know, my mom comes calls me Jules sometimes. Hmm. Yeah, n normally. My, and my grandparents, they called me Juice, which is not mm. great with OJ. But right. um. <laughs> but that was my nickname as with my grandparents. It's all about the era you're born in, though. Yeah, I was born in 95. Yeah. So it's like it felt especially not great. Not a good but, set. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that says about their thoughts on me. But yeah, so so Christian, he for years was calling me Jupy. I decided I thought that was a great like I wanted a one word quick name for my project. So I was like, Jupy's perfect. Everyone was like, it has to be Jupy. So Cool. Um, yeah, so it started with that nickname. And then maybe like two years, a year and a half after I started the project, Christian just like sends me a YouTube video out of the blue. And it's this dog trainer, Peter Kane, who he's obsessed with. But he was watching okay. this, this 
trainer who trains crows and all and dogs and cats and everything. And he sent me this video. Uh, and it was called Jupy the Recycling Dog. Oh, my and gosh. this guy, Peter <laughs> Kane, had trained a Springer Spaniel to recycle, like to carry like his recycling to the bin. And it was really cute. And so I realized years later that that's was the original Jupy. Wow. Was he able to separate paper and plastics? Unfortunately, no, but it was still really <laughs> cute. And you can find the video out there. I don't know what the context is on that. I don't know how I take that. I'd be like, well, I kind of have locked into this. I really invested in this, and this is where it came from. Yes, yeah, no, and it had already. I, I had stickers at that point, so I was like, "This is it. This is sold. I've committed to." That's funny. Know. When I was when I was in college, there was a uh, a kid that I always knew affectionately as Sketchy Dan. It was like, "Oh, it's Sketchy Dan," and all that stuff. Um, and and it was, I mean, probably halfway through the semester, then I learned that. He doesn't know that they call him Sketchy Dan <laughs> until, <laughs> oh, no. until we're at a party and somebody's like, Sketchy Dan, hey. It's like, what? What did you say? Oh. I was like, oh, duckhead, walk away. It's great. <laughs> There's a guy who I recently, I heard people call him the milkman and I didn't know why, just like at law school. And I realized, I don't know if he does it still, but apparently his first year, he would drink a gallon of milk every single day Ew. at school. And I'm like, wow. nine years old. This is an adult person. <laughs> I think he had also not just gone directly from undergrad. This is like a grown wow. adult drinking a gallon of milk a day. So I feel like that's either you have a deficiency or you're on some sort of strange milk diet routine. <laughs> yeah. I think Seriously. it's a weird routine. I would hope so. Yeah. Was it at least skim milk? I I haven't inquired too much. I've this was a re- recent I found out last night, to be honest, at that uh I had a friend over who explained why where the nickname came from. So, because the milkman is kind of a cool nickname, right? You're mm-hmm. like always bringing it. Yeah, he needs a better origin story, though. True. Yeah, <laughs> actually, so I I grew up here in Baltimore till I was 11, but uh, my family, my dad was getting his PhD at Hopkins, and then got a job teaching in Cairo. So I was in Cairo for middle school and high school. Um, wow. That's and that's really where I started playing music. But Nick, how how was that? How was that transition? I mean, middle school. To be going in, not I mean, just I to hated another it. school, but yeah. I hated it at first, but I mean, living in Cairo was amazing. It's such a, it, it was such an incredible experience for me to get to be there for middle school and high school. Only time that was a little like not great was during the the revolution. We were like evacuated during that because oh, in wow. 2011. Oh, wow. It was only like, I think we were only evacuated for like three weeks or something. Um, but those were a terrible three weeks. Definitely we're, was like, I'm never going to, for me, it was so like, there was this big moment in history, but for me, I just remember being like, never going to see my friends again. Like, I don't know if yeah. I'm ever going to go back to my house. Like, it was like, that was my crisis during. Yeah, it's a different perspective sure. than the rest of us get. When you're 15, you know, yeah. Where did you evacuate to? So uh, our, like, family friends who had lived in Cairo had moved to Berlin. So we went and stayed with them for a while. And then my grandparents at the time uh, were living in Italy, and we went and stayed with them for a while. Hmm. What was music like in Cairo? So it was really interesting. There's, I mean, there's like a very powerful like music culture in Cairo. Cairo is kind of the like the art hub of a lot of the like North Africa, Middle East region. Like mm-hmm. most television, like really popular television is produced in Cairo. So like Arabic, there's a bunch of different dialects, but like Mosrin Egyptian dialect is like the dialect of television and a lot of like music and stuff. So when I when I was there. There was just like like Um Kathum. There's like all these uh, Amr Diab. There's all these very famous Egyptian artists that sang in a certain way that I really like. When I was young, especially, I like was so inspired by like the 
way that people like emote like artists there it's there's so much emphasis on like vocal power hmm. and like suspense and building and uh very deliberate minimalism at certain times but uh yeah so it's so a very much a different scene than here there was of course like a, a bit of a rock scene and metal scene but um when i was a kid my parents uh had not put really played music since they had done the band in the 90s and they just started like playing in a cover band with my friend Chris's dad and then I played in the cover band with my parents for years which was actually like the biggest shows I probably will ever pay, play were in that cover band with my parents really we got flown around a little bit in the Middle East to play wow. in front of like pretty big crowds I played in front of like 5,000 people in a big concert hall kind of like or opera house in in uh in Amman Jordan how old were you then I was 15 <laughs> wild yeah, that yeah. Is... So that was like a totally surreal experience, and then going from that to back to the states. My parents were in Cairo, and the whole time I was uh, in college and stuff. So wow, twelve and a half hour flight away. Did you yeah. graduate from high school in Cairo? At the pyramids of Giza. Yep. No shit. Wow. Yeah, that is a very cool story, and and unexpected. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool uh, backdrop too. Oh yeah, that's uh, definitely from somewhere. My mom got that in Cairo. Oh, I meant. I, I do like that. That is. Oh, nice I was like, I was like, I was <laughs> like, I was like, make a backdrop too. Pyramids of Giza are a cool backdrop for any ceremony. Absolutely <laughs> a cool backdrop. Yeah, there's photos out there somewhere. If you type in Cairo American College, there's like a million photos of the school's graduation there. Yeah. Gotcha. Huh. Okay. Do you speak? Do you speak the language? Like, do you Arabic? carry that over? Yeah. So, uh, my my speaking skills have gotten a lot worse just because I don't speak it very often here. But um, in New York, I speak. I would speak it a lot more at like delis and stuff. Most cool. of the a lot of the deli workers in New York are from Yemen specifically, but uh, and the dialect's similar enough that we can kind of make it work. I was thinking so, and great. I studied Arabic in, in as an undergrad as well. So my reading and writing at this point is probably better than my my speaking. But. Hmm. Hmm. What type of law are you studying? So I'm I'm in my first year. I uh, was kind of having a big career pivot and figuring out what I wanted to do. Um, from what I I was, had actually taught uh, anthropology before that. Yeah, just just figuring that, out that um, kind of fits with where you were coming from, right? A little bit. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So I would, you know, and I, uh, but I wanted to do work with more of a tangible change and like more community oriented work here in Baltimore. So that kind of, I, I don't know for sure what I'd, I'll do, but I'm definitely looking at like the nonprofit route. I'm not particularly interested in litigation. <laughs> I went to one criminal trial and it was just not my thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's something about like like I have friends who are doctors, right? And you're just like, that's so awesome. You're a doctor. I'm so glad that you can do that, but I could never do that, right? Uh, and I'm glad there are pe there are people who can do it. But when I was in the courtroom, like I was there for like a murder trial for a class of mine, and there's just like this desensitized element that has to be there with like if you're hearing 20 murder murder trials a week, right? Like you're gonna have to have yep. some separation to be a functioning person or you're going to just like lose your mind. So sure. All the attorneys and the judge and everyone, I just felt like we're so desensitized to yeah. that. And I just don't ever want to be desensitized to that. So well, it's weird in a way, you know, it's kind of the way you have to be, but it's, you're, you're they're kind of just processing the, the, the criminal sort of experience. Right. So they're kind of going through and like fill out this form, do this, sign this object to that, you know, Obviously, they, you know, in TV, they glorify it. But yeah, if you've ever been in court, like a lot of it is just procedural kind of stuff. Yeah. You spend a lot of time in court, Ken? A lot. Yes. <laughs> yes. Lots. Lots. No, I don't. 
<laughs> we missed this in our Q and A. Seriously. <laughs> anyway, that's cool. So, how do you think uh, like all that sort of comes around in your music? I feel like listening to you. Uh, well, I, I would ask you too. How, do, how does the production part of it come about for you? That was one of my things as I'm listening to it. Mm, I wanted to know that too. Yeah. So when I first started making music, I'd been writing for a long time before I started doing production at all. Uh, and in college, I played in this band, Your Dog. My friend Ian had done all of the production work himself before like we did our first EP. And I loved that kind of at-home, DIY, intimate, like a little bit rough around the edges sort of sound. Mm -hmm. And we ended up recording most of it. He did most of it himself. And then we went and worked with this producer in upstate New York, Chris Daly, who's worked on a ton of the big like indie rock projects uh, that have come out of like the Westchester area in the last bunch of years. And, and Chris, uh, so, so Chris worked on this record with your dog. And I think after that experience, I was like, not really sure if I wanted to like learn how to self-produce or not, but I just like started messing around on GarageBand back in like 2017. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I just started making these really messy little tracks just for fun for myself because I was doing this other band. And when that band split up in 20, I think it was like end of 2017, beginning of 2018, I like didn't know what I was going to do. I We had been kind of big for a minute and had just gotten like a record deal and everything. So mm. other people were asking me to play bass for them. So I started playing bass uh, in different projects, but like focusing more. A lot of my friends had been like, this is your moment. Like you should start doing Jupy. You should start doing this project more seriously. So I demoed out a bunch of stuff. And then the producer I'd worked with, Chris, who's wonderful and has his thing that he does really well, had offered me this great deal to like record for really cheap for like, you know, a week or a couple of days or whatever, record a little EP with him in New Paltz. So I went up to New Paltz with the band that I had at the time. Jupy was like a full band at the moment. Uh, and we went up and recorded and it was it sounded good, but it was totally not what I wanted it to be at all. And was like sure. completely I had this moment like when we were getting the masters and I was like, I'm never going to put this out ever. Wow. This is not. <laughs> nope. I'm done. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And just too polished to like everything. I'm just trying yeah, to figure out so, how you make that call. So for me, it was it's not always just about polished. It was more like it was like a really good indie rock EP mm -hmm. that was like sounded like a band and didn't sound like the demos I had gotten really attached to. And everyone says like in music, don't get overly attached to your demos. Like it's like a, a curse that people have when like there's something that they fall in love with in their demo and makes them like unable to hear like a be potentially better option because they're so attached to this one thing. Sure. And so for me, that's what people were telling me. And I was like, nope, actually, no, I'm I'm just going to, nope, sorry, we're not putting this out. I broke up the band. They're all my friends still, you know, and we've they've all still played in GP in different ways. My friend Tommy, who is the drummer, co-produced this last one. He helped me with some drum, drum production and mixed it. So we're all still very close. But yeah, I was just like done doing that, broke up the project, recorded. And I was like, I'm just going to do it all myself and send it to my friend Gabe, who was like, getting he's now very successful in the music production world and his he uh worked on maggie rogers last album oh, wow. and he's worked with oh. uh, on with a uh, a bunch of really great artists out in la he's one of those move to la people oh. um he opened up for the shins at the hollywood bowl that was crazy oh my gosh so, yeah gabe's really? really made it 
But before he made it, he worked with little old Jupy. <laughs> <laughs> but you can still hit him up. Yeah, and he, uh, yeah, I, we're still right. Instagram mutuals. So, <laughs> but yeah, so Gabe just like heard these demos, and I'd also sent him what I worked on with Chris, and he was like, I think we should just do the demos and like maybe add some drums, maybe add a few little synth pads here or there. But this sounds good. Like, do like, what you want to do. I found my guy. And so we, I like went and I think we worked on stuff for one day and then he just mixed it and he's really, really talented. He has this program that's now like everywhere, but at the time was like super expensive called RX or something where you can isolate uh, auxiliary audio and like move the level. So I had a lot of things like I'd record with my window open and you could hear the subway, like the above ground subway. Yeah. You'd hear birds. So that first EP had all of this stuff, but he like very intentionally placed it so he mm. made all of this oh julius is a dingus and left the window open and you can hear all this shit outside <laughs> made that sound way more intentional and cool i was just about to say i'm assuming you did that intentionally nope <laughs> no i just had no idea what i was doing at all like i never re recorded before right. so i was just like on garage band i wow my biggest success streaming wise and whatever from that record was the song yams and i didn't even own an interface yet i just had one of those like yeti usb mics like what ken's talking into that's literally what i'm speaking into yeah no and they're great i did <laughs> i did great. like <laughs> when you know how to do it my first uh, ep is all all the vocals are one of those nice um wow. i love them i think they're amazing and yeah even the drums on that song like my friend tommy held the mic in the corner of his studio with like a bunch of stuff on top and i like played the drums really quietly um, but yeah, so so yeah, I also so I do all the instruments on my own music as well. That's what I was wondering oh, about that great. as well. That's great. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that song it was like literally didn't have an interface, so the bass is just pitched down acoustic guitar. The electric guitar is just <laughs> running the acoustic through a bunch of filters on GarageBand. Question: Why would you pitch down the guitar to be the bass when you are a bass player, like in Origin? <laughs> so, because I didn't have a thing to plug the bass into on my, like, I, I didn't have an interface to, so I couldn't record directly into my computer. It was just pure laziness. And I was just going to be like, yeah, we'll re-record the bass. But Gabe was like, no, I'll make it work. It'll sound great. And, and it's it, your vibe. And that's what you have out on Spotify. It's like that song is just, there's no actual bass or anything on it. It's just this totally that is cool. weird, rough little sketch. I, I've done some similar tricks before. In that I have a bunch of guitars, but I don't have a bass. And so I found ways to, you know, make my guitar sound like a bass. Well, I do bass wise. I so I have inherited from my uncle. Like I record mostly with this. Uh, it's like a 1972 Fender Jazz bass. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's yellow, which is really weird looking mm, and cool. That's cool. I did a lot of the the bass on that first EP uh, with my $150 Squire Bronco. So if you ever want a cheap <laughs> bass, I will die on that hill. That is the nice. best cost to quality ratio you can find out there oh, that's Squire great bronco uh so you pick this up i'm assuming your friend is really good at mixing and mastering because you know the recording process and that post-production all that mixing stuff is two different worlds that's really tricky oh completely and so well when we when i did that first ep with gabe that was a wonderful experience but since then I've worked with a few other people that are super talented that have all just in their own different capacities, like done this sort of thing, like in their own recording experience, like taught themselves how to do it. So I think they all like mm -hmm. could look at the very messy tracks I had and figure <laughs> out like they knew what I was doing because they had probably done that like years right. ago when they were incompetent. Right. So like, I love that mistake. I made that mistake. 
Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I I did my second EP. It was like mostly recorded in this house in Woodbury in the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, and I was living with my friend Avi at the time, who has this amazing project, Lazy Lazy. And the two of us both played together in this band, Sipper, for years and a uh, very close friend. But he helped me a ton with the production on that, just like taking much rougher sounding things and like really getting them fleshed out. And then our friend Alan Tate, who's the singer of this band, Sand For Me, and he mixed that second EP. And then Are these all local? These are all New York people. Um, okay. This is, yeah, they some of them were, my friend Avi was living here and now he's back in New York. And then my most recent EP, yeah, it was all me and my friend Tommy. And uh, we got our friend Justin Pizzoferrato, who's a genius to master it. He does, he's like, does all the engineering work on the, on, for the Pixies and Dinosaur Jr. and a bunch of really. Oh, wow. Feel the Pain came on a mix last night when I was hanging out at someone's house and I freaked out because I hadn't heard that song in a while. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I, I got I used to work at Summer Stage, the big venue in Central Park in New York, and uh -huh. I got to see Dinosaur Jr. Oh, and cool. I sold one of their shirts to uh, Michael Imperioli. No uh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, Sopranos. He, you know, yeah, he played at Autobar recently. Really? Yeah. And my friend, my friend's band Dolly from New York opened for him and it was crazy. And I met him after. Super nice guy. His wow. bassist followed me on uh, on Instagram. So maybe there will be a <laughs> there band's called Zopa. So maybe there will be a Zopa GP show. Zopa. All right. Awesome. We'll keep an eye out for it. What kind of shows are you playing now? So uh, I I played a handful of shows this year, but the I, the big show that I I just did um, was on January twelfth, the same day that my new record came out, called Brick Hill, uh, and it was at Metro Gallery and Station North. It mm -hmm. was really awesome, and so I kind of have had put all my resources into doing that. Um, I played with these amazing local acts, uh, Nina Gala and Ias, and um, yeah, both those projects are unbelievable. I'm so grateful that they. We're willing to play with me. Cool. And it's funny. So live, uh, the way that I do it, I have like, I think I had seven people on stage with me or me and six other people during my set. So yeah. for music, that's like very just intimate me goofing off in my room to make that very simplistic thing work live i need right. so many people if i'm not going to use like backing tracks or whatever so is there somebody on the bird calls and the like you're <laughs> no but we did start I don't know if you know this but ken does a good bird call oh yeah i can do some bird calls for it yes but yeah you should hide out in the audience and just oh, do well. bird calls throughout the show yeah i discovered <laughs> that recently and it, <laughs> yeah lay, lay, lay some bird calls on us <laughs> that was shockingly good <laughs> Can you do other variations? I can. I do a, I do a really good dove, too. <laughs> I'm impressed. I'm sold. <laughs> Very good. So when you're playing it live, obviously you need a group because it's just you. Mm -hmm. Are you trying to keep that same bedroom kind of sound? Or are you trying to blow it up a little more since you have access to people? So it's a little bit of a mix. This show is the first time I got this like new vocal pedal, which I never really messed with before using vocal pedals, hmm. it, where it has this effect where it sounds like there's more doubling going doubling. on. Sure. Because I do a ton of layering. Um, the reason that it's so hard to do my stuff live is because I typically will have like two or three vocal tracks going at once, a bunch of harmonies going on, and I'm not a great guitarist. So I tend to just <laughs> layer a bunch of like two or three note hooks and that turns it into this like big rich 
Yeah. You know. Sound. It sounds like I'm playing a really cool guitar part, but I'm really playing like a bunch of very not cool <laughs> guitar parts. Uh, it yeah, but it sounds great. Nicely. It comes, I, I know. Together, it comes I, together really. Well, I agree. So. I think it sounds awesome. But it's it's this process of putting all the notes in the right place. But I feel like a real guitarist would learn how to do that as one part. And I just am like that note would sound good, and I'll record me doing one note. <laughs> so yeah, I want to maintain some of that. Uh, I definitely like when I can get like really quiet and have it be like me and the guitar and the mic and like messing with you know some of the sounds. Solo is really great, but for the bigger moments on the record, it's especially with some of the drum parts. Those parts are are me playing. I'm not a really crazy drummer, but I like to have my drum parts on the recordings be pretty simple mm-hmm. to have that mm-hmm. not like overshine some of the other stuff. But live, my my drummer, uh, my friend Gabe drums for me, and he's been like a longtime touring drummer for a bunch of really talented acts, mostly out of Miami and New York. And he, I kind of like let him do his thing uh, live. Yeah. We'll have like songs where he's much more restrained, but when we get big, it can get just so much bigger live. And yeah, it's really fun. That is really cool. So the way you're describing this is also, I mean, you kind of played it down before. Being able to, even if you can't play, the music, being able to pick out all of those notes and layer and put them together and take the time and focus to build that up. I mean, you were saying before that like you you fall somewhere in the middle of the people who can just hear it and play it and the people who need to just work. And I, I see what you're saying. I'm not sure there's a question in here somewhere, but <laughs> it is an impressive skill for someone who can't strum everything and play all the notes to be able to hear that ahead of time and learn how to build on that. I mean, I, I think that is like a true producer there. Yeah. yeah, I think, I mean, some of it, like I definitely, as far as, I mean, I can play guitar well enough to do basic chord structure and stuff, but yeah, be trying to do a guitar solo. I do my own guitar solos, but it takes me a lot of, I have to track it over and over and over. <laughs> There's some splicing going on in there. Yeah, but, but I think a part of the fun of it is trying out it. For me, recording, I normally... I do it so backwards. Any producer would be furious hearing how I do it. But because normally you lay down the drums and the bass and then like build everything kind of around the rhythm section. And sure. I record a like rough guitar track in my vocals first, like a vocal take, and then build everything around that instead. So because I'm like, that needs to be the core focus right. of everything. But I think that's fine. I mean, if you yeah. said you're not going for something polished, you're not trying to put like the beat or a click track or something down that like really holds it tight. And, well, and I have to say, my my all my friends who I've worked with, I have really, they're very nice about it. But they've they've done the labor of getting that all to a click after yeah. after. Yeah, I mean, I play to a click, but they have to do a lot of straightening up of all <laughs> of my my stuff. Especially that song "Sandbox," which on my record, my friend Tommy had a lot of labor going to that one, trying to move everything over just a, a little bit so it all felt more in sync. Here, here's where the beat is. So, yeah, on that note, though, so like like you said, you're layering all the things in, and I think it's cool. Like, And I also love, by the way, that, you, that it's a, a nice EP that you put out, too, because I'm like, so nowadays, it's like you can just put out a song, put a couple songs, sort of the way the industry's going, especially with like, you know, social media and all that stuff. But like, so how do you decide when it's done? You know, if you're constantly adding layers, you know, it's like you're making a pizza or something. You know, how do you decide, all right, that's enough topics for that pizza. That one is good. You know, how do you decide it has enough guitar parts? There are enough things going on there. Hmm. Uh. Well, so I do ask people for a lot of feedback and I don't always take it. 
Sometimes I'll like have a day where I record for two hours, three hours, and the song will be done, and it won't really change at all after that. Yeah. Um, I think on the record, I have like three songs on the record that are like that, where it was just like had an afternoon where I was like, I want to record today, and I just did it, and that was what it became forever. But a lot of the times what I'll do is I'll record a little part of the song, and I'll start building and I'll like bounce the track that's unfinished so I can listen to my car and listen, like go on a walk in the woods and then come back to it later and be like, okay, I have all these new ideas to add on or, oh, that guitar part actually doesn't fit there. So it'll be like me hmm. listening, it, like when I know it's not finished and just by listening out in the wild is like how, like listening on my, I, I always mix on Apple headphones, like do pre-mixing. I used to only record wearing Apple headphones because I'm like, that's what everyone else is going to be listening on. Mm. Uh, so <laughs> I, if I listen to my car and on my my Apple headphones walking in the woods, like that's kind of how I figure out where things need to be and uh, whether or not it's done. And it's also part of it that's nice. I was talking to my therapist about this actually a little bit because <laughs> I was feeling like lazy for not learning how to mix well and that like, you know, I'm maybe holding myself back or something. But I like with not being the person who mixes my own music, finding someone who I trust, who I can know that even if all like the sounds aren't exactly where they need to be to like, if the pieces are all there, then I don't have to worry about it being done. And once yeah. they're mixing, sometimes we'll, they'll be like, Hey, what do you think? Should we add one more little thing here? Or so I have uh, my song circle falls on, on the record. I don't know if you there's there was a music video that came yep. out where it's like Circle Falls into yeah I saw it uh, uh, it was a Thursday yep um and this oh actually no I don't think I saw that one so it, it yeah it just came out on the twelfth and so it, it Circle Falls on on the record it transitions into the song yep. it, it was a Thursday and my whole idea to even do that came out of my friend Tommy being like what if we end Circle Falls with the that bass riff that you do but played on a synth and this like the no 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 so he sent me just that synth part and I was like wait can mm -hmm. you just like bounce that and send it to me like so I can have it repeat over and over and then I built this whole track around that one part and I called my sister and I was like hey do you have any poems you've written recently that you really like ask lyric right so yeah, yeah so lyric did the yeah so I I just hit her up and she was like Actually, I just wrote one called It Was a Thursday. Can I like send it to you? And if you like it, I'm, I'll like record over that. So, yeah, I added all these bird tracks. I like went for yeah. a walk and like recorded a bunch of birds in Druid Hill Park. <laughs> and then like me and Lyric kind of put it all together. And Tommy, yeah, it was just, but it all came from this idea that Tommy had. So his name's Tommy Ordway to plug him. He's the best producer awesome. uh, ever. Um, he's worked with great bands, Pom Pom Squad. He's the manager at Figure Eight Studios, which is, the one of the coolest studios in Brooklyn. So, yeah, I'm gonna have to look all these up afterwards. Yeah, yeah, I love that point though. I mean, that was one of the first things I learned early on, and I'm not calling myself a producer or anything, just you know, tinkering was that it's great to mix and master on studio quality speakers or with good headphones, but no one else in the world is gonna be listening to that. They're gonna be listening to most of the stuff in their car or get with their Apple headphones. So, good producers usually afterwards go try to find like the shittiest speakers they can to see what it's going to sound like yeah my mom always told me that they they did like some big studio they recorded at sound city that studio mm, in la yeah, dave yeah, Grohl sure. made a documentary yep. about wow so yeah there's a photo of me being held by uh frank black as a baby uh nice. <laughs> yeah 
am wow. in like a dinosaur onesie. It's great. Yeah, I might be the only person he's ever held wearing a dinosaur onesie. Yeah, um, I don't know. You know, things get weird out there. I don't know. Oh, yeah, I asked Justin to he because he, he uh, the guy who mastered it he worked with the Pixies, and I sent him that photo, and he thought it was the funniest thing. That's great. Um, but nice. but uh, but yeah, my parents said when they would record at Sound City, they would like finish a mix. And then they like get the tape and they'd sprint out to the car and they'd put it in their like shitty car speakers. And that's the only way you'd know a song was done was how it sounded like that's how everyone, every rock band in the 90s did it. You had to yeah. listen on your shitty car speakers to know the song was done. <laughs> right. Obviously, now speakers and cars are a lot better, but the yeah. concept, the idea is there. Mm hmm. Yeah, and to have like to be like listening on yeah or your Apple headphones now, you know. So mm -hmm. I think it's a yeah, definitely learned a lot from that idea. But also, yeah. So so what, what I was saying before too is um, I'm sorry I kept going on these kind of tangents, mm. but working sure. yeah. So a big part of like knowing things are done too. Yeah, just finding people you trust who you can like pass it off to at a certain point and like know that. I don't know. There's something that's comforting about that, because I think if I got into mixing and this is what my therapist said to me was I would lose my mind. I would just right. torture myself forever. We have the saying my work, you're effing it to death. Just walk away. Put a, put a pin in it and walk away. Yeah. Or like lateral editing, where I would just be making it sound essentially the same, slightly different, but the same forever. And, and right. Perfect is the enemy of good. Exactly. And that if I mixed and mastered it, too, that I would... Anytime I would listen to it after, I would, instead of being like, wow, it's like awesome how Tommy got it to sound this amazing way that I'm really proud of. Like, it would always be like, I didn't do it well enough or something. So. Right. I would have, oh, I should have done something else there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's great that you can hand that off though. And you have people you can trust too. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, that's hard to find. especially after this last record, like I, I'm going to work with Tommy on my next one. Uh, my bassist, Eric, who I play live with here is, just uh, absolutely amazing producer. So the three of us are going to work on it a lot. Um, <laughs> very excited about it. So yeah, I'm already, I already have the new record written. Uh, but oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, and uh, not fully recorded yet. Yeah. So Jupy is your main musical focus moving forward. Yes, it's my main musical focus. I, I'm with some of my my friends that I play with here. Most of we people who play in Jupy, I'm definitely. Looking forward to their projects kind kind of coming to fruition so I can play bass live again because <laughs> that's the most fun I ever have on stage is getting to play bass for for a project. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I love getting to do Jupy live, but Jupy's much more... It's cool because I'm doing it with all my friends, but it is more of a studio project than a, gotcha. than a live project. When you're playing bass with these guys, like what kind of music is it? Um, so we haven't, I haven't really been doing that yet. That's like something I'm no. looking forward to getting to do. Um, but the projects I played in New York, I, Sipper is a really awesome kind of, it started as more of a bedroom pop, uh, indie rock sort of project and has evolved into a much more expansive, like touches on hyper pop and all those other kind of newer genres that are like pushing mm -hmm. the boundaries of like electric and like finding that line between like it being like almost like a little hammy, but then also like so good that everyone's like, damn, like this is still it's great. catchy. Right. Yeah. It's catchy. Can't get away from it. What was that band, Ken, out of Oregon that we liked a couple of years ago? Uh, I don't know. Who are we talking about? It'll hit me in a minute. Some, mm. We'll edit that in. Yeah. Record that later. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Remember our favorite band, The Wales from Oregon? <laughs> They're great. Uh, <laughs> 
Super organism. Yeah, there you go. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, there, yeah. So that, I, that was a really fun project. Uh, my friend Joey, like all of he, he never, I don't think has ever posted this anywhere, but he, all of his success, his initial success songs all happened when he was living in Waverly. He self-produced all of them in Waverly. <laughs> That's cool. Like one yeah, year nice. he lived in Baltimore. So that was one of the projects I'm in. Um, and then I played in this band, Marinara. I still technically play in it, but they have like a long-term fill-in basis now because I live here and will be continue living here. Marinara is much more of a harder rock, kind of pop rock kind of band. Just put out a new single uh, on I the saw that 23rd. on Spotify. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And Marinara is a fantastic band. Those are some of my best friends in the world. Nick played bass for Jupy for years, the singer of Marinara and... I think every single member of the band has played in Jupy at some point uh, when I was up in New York. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah, yeah, definitely a little, yeah, everyone played in each other's projects all the time. Yeah, so here I'm looking forward to getting to do that with some people. And yeah, my friend Eric has this great project that he he's never put out music before us, but I'm very excited. It's a little mix of like new wave and then bedroom pop. And my friend Garrett, who plays guitar for Jupy, also has a project that's much more post-punk sort of stuff, which... I love playing bass for that Fun. sort of thing. So, are you planning on touring? So it's a little tough with school, but I was going to try to book something in May. Trying to play, like, do like a show here, a show in Philly, a show in New York, maybe a show in Boston or DC. But <laughs> beyond that, it's just really hard with everyone's schedules and right. wanting to. Yeah, and it, like again, like singing, like I like, I love playing shows as Jupy, but doing the touring thing is something I did for other projects before and it's really it can be really fun but i think i'm kind of at a point in my life we're doing like a really long tour sounds like quite a grind and i don't know how yeah. i'd fit all six or seven people and we'd have to have like a caravan <laughs> of cars that's i don't yeah, have i don't have a big travel that with that yeah. yeah take you right back to your childhood yeah no i mean I, yeah if i toured i would definitely do like a stripped down version of uh of jupy but okay yeah. so mostly uh recording studio stuff and some shows sprinkled in here and there. Yeah, I try to I'm make it so I'm not overplaying in the city where I can get like the, you know, everyone to actually come out and see me because they yeah. can't just be like, oh, I'll go to his show next week. Right. Um, right. But yeah, uh, yeah I've happen. been talking to some some friends about uh, some shows in in March and in, in May. So uh, I definitely will let you know when the next one's up. I was supposed to play yeah, uh, do. with this great uh, local band Polar View and this other band advertisement, but advertisement bassist just uh broke his hip so oh. that got canceled did you yeah. tell him you know a bassist <laughs> <laughs> i have a question going yeah. back to circle falls um which is uh the video um yes. for that and, and actually sandbox too how did you connect with those artists so peggy did circle falls who, who did sandbox by the way i didn't see that jake armstrong did sandbox uh cool. jake is one of my closest friends here uh super talented animator and has done videos for a ton of really amazing artists he's he just won a bunch of awards for a video he did with uh, Gum and uh, Ambrose from King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Oh, so yeah. He's, hmm. uh, he's, he just did the, it, the videos. It's uh, it's called Minor Setback is the name of it. Okay, yeah. cool. um, it and out. it is it so awesome. Yeah, he, So he's been doing this for years. We met just like through mutual friends when I had moved back here during the pandemic, like started talking about music and he started showing me his videos and we I, I mean I was just blown away by the stuff he was making and for fun he'll do these like 
animations that he pours so much time and effort into that are just because he has all this creative energy. And I've met so few people in my life who spend as much time on just like, he'll make a video of like a goofy video about like a animated McDonald's thing or something. Like he'll, he'll have right. some like weird, crazy <laughs> idea and spend like weeks making this animation for no one but himself. Yeah, well, I mean, he posts it on his Instagram and he has a pretty yeah. successful account. A lot of the time, it's not like he's doing something that uh, for any purpose beyond it being like he had this creative inspiration. So once About he really started getting into these videos, he started he did this thing that I think is a pretty brilliant move where he would find the side projects of these bands he loves, love like Tame Impala and King Gizzard and hit up people being like, hey, I'm a. Uh, I'm an animator, you know, I make videos. Could I make you a free video for a new song of yours? So, and they would be like, sure, that would be great. And then yeah, once out. he did a video for them, like they would be like, oh my God, he's so unbelievably talented. talented. Did he work with Tame Impala? He, he, well, so Gum is the drummer of Tame Impala. Oh, so he's okay. worked with a lot of these side projects of these really big artists and yeah, that is did a video big. for Yellow Days, who's really big, a really cool video of Yellow Days, like running around London, all animated. Huh. Um, Very cool. But yeah. So so Jake, when we when he started showing me these videos he was working on, I was like, I totally couldn't afford one of your videos. But he <laughs> as a friend, he's like, well, if you give me like complete creative liberty, basically. Right. I could definitely cut you more of a deal if you don't That's make cool. me like do something that I am less excited to do. Right. So I with the sandbox video, I really was just like, you run with it. I trust your judgment. Have fun. Do your thing. And he's like, yeah, I want to make like a little robot guy. And I was like, OK, sounds that sounds awesome. And he yeah, and he made <laughs> this crazy, crazy, amazing video. Yeah, I cool. love it. He threw Club Chuck in there. My favorite bar in the city, you know. Uh, OK. Yeah. I was wondering about that. Like some of the stuff seems very specific in it. So yeah, there's, about, little, there's little references to to here. You know, how about Circle Falls? So uh, Peggy Fussell, who did Circle Falls, is uh, one of my childhood friends' moms. Oh. Um, yeah, my friend Grace, who I went to preschool with here and grew up with, and uh, actually lived with in New York for a year, and w lived with her here briefly. Yeah, so it's her mom who lives in Ontario uh, and just has been doing animation and has been like a big inspiration in the field of like a visual art and animation for years, uh, teaches in Ontario. And she, she was posting these like mixed media animations on her Instagram. And I, w I was talking to Grace. I was like, do you think your mom would make a video for me? Like, is that weird to ask your mom? Because and she was like, Oh my God, my mom would love to do that. So That's I just cool. sent I sent Peggy the record and I was like, pick a song, anyone you want, like if you're interested and, you know, so she was like, oh, I'd love to do that. And she actually did it for, I think she's getting her PhD right now. Maybe edit this okay. a little bit. But okay. she, she used it for something for school where like it was a big submission for her. She's been working on that for like a long time. I think since like May or April last year, I uh, wow. was working on these videos. And so. Gotcha. It shows. It's really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. It, Unbelievable. It and I remember when she sent it to me, I cried so much. It was like my yeah. house and my home, like the house that you see in that video is like the house I'm in right now. The transition at the end when it yeah. goes to the photography is really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so, I mean, uh, cause the, the record, the whole record is really about this house that I'm in right now. There's this little hill that is like tucked away in Druid Hill Park. Okay. That's Brick Hill. Uh, oh, okay. Huh. So that this is what the, the whole record is about. And, um, so Peggy did just 
this remarkable job bringing in all this imagery from like here and having that just become this like lush dreamscape. yeah i was so blown away and it's so baltimore you know and like that's something mm-hmm. i really wanted to and yeah because circle falls I, I, have you ever been it, there's like a million names for it like round falls horseshoe falls it's oh, yeah along yep. the falls way yeah, falls right, yeah. Yep. yeah that's kind of what the idea that's had awesome been behind the name of the song and everything so i, I, I was a you've kid got... they called it circle falls not not yeah. round falls or <laughs> wow. shoot falls, okay. but... you've got such a creative network uh not just a creative network but like a creative productive network mm-hmm. of people of all facets that it, it's great that you're pulling from all these yeah i mean i i feel so grateful all the time for the community that i have here especially and i, I have a ton of great community in new york and i loved being there i loved when i, I went to grad school in chicago and i loved the music scene there and everyone's really mm. supportive But being here, there is something so special about how everyone really supports each other and has each other's backs from all different kinds of genres of music, too, and all different artistic disciplines. And like all all my photography, like all the uh, press photos I've had for the last few years have all been my friend Peter Hoblitzel, who just a brilliant local photographer. He he does a ton of Natty Bose photo shoots, actually. Like, so I'm okay. sure you've if you ever have seen like an Instagram. Oh, hell yeah! Oh, sure if you see any of the ads where it's like you know people like yes. clinking their beers right on Natty Bose Instagram, a lot right. of those are Peter. That's cool. Uh, who's taking the, nice. Yeah. So yeah, he's he's brilliant, and he'll often you know I'll like pay what I can kind of, but a lot of people what what I try to do is like Peter was like I want to try out all these new filters on my camera and right. whatever like. You know, you can pay me maybe a little, but if you let me be more experimental, then same idea as the the sandbox video. You know, it's like, yeah, hey, and so I want to be I, an artist, and if you let me be an artist, right? Hey, my always, friends get yes. it. A lot of them have other jobs too and stuff, and they know that I'm, you know, in law school. I also bartend part time, so I just like have a lot going on, and they mm-hmm. they know I'm doing what I can. You know, so where do you bartend? Uh, at the Crown. I'm not sure if you've been there, but it's a Korean restaurant slash bar slash music venue. Yeah, um, uh, sounds cool. It's a really great spot. Yeah, I love it a lot. The, the They treat me really well and are really flexible with my schedule. And I've nice. played some shows there in the last year with some really cool artists. I highly cool. recommend. But yeah, I mean, there's and there's a ton of great spaces here right now, too, for live music. Mm-hmm. Like Metro Gallery is amazing. Mm-hmm. Autobar is amazing. The yeah. Compound is such a great DIY space. I was just uh, reading about the Compound the other day. Yeah, my friend Laurel does like all of the booking there and runs it all. So, and it's just amazing what they've done with the space and the sound there is so good is it uh yeah this band tomato flower who i love is playing a release show there soon okay uh, but yeah there's just always cool stuff going on yeah some of the members of animal collective played at the compound recently oh wow i went to park school with them no way That's i think so they're cool. all a year below me that's rad. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, they have their studio. I think their studios right over there in um, Dan Deacons and stuff, right by, oh. uh, right by the compound. Yeah. It, so I don't. I feel like being here. Even I've only really been back here full time for like a little over a year and a half, and it's amazing how quickly people are so willing to open up. You know, support you and yeah, I had. It's fantastic. Uh, I think we had almost two hundred people at my release show, which was that's amazing. Just. That's so crazy. Good. Yeah, we, nice. we ticket sales were way beyond. I think it's the most money I've ever made playing a show, except when I did like a college show because right. those shows pay crazy amounts of money. But <laughs> as far as like at a real venue, that was like the best turnout I've ever had, and that's great. It was just so wonderful and supportive. So I hate to, to uh, I hate to pull the ripcord, but I actually do have to uh, yeah. bounce. It was very nice meeting uh, you, man. Best of luck. Yeah, nice meeting to you, you too. It was great. 
Well, Eric, you keep going. Do you want to ask about the travel stuff? Yep. I was just going to throw out that question. Um, awesome. If you want to bail out, I will yeah. fake your voice and put in send it, later. Just send me the thing and then I'll add in all sorts of color to it and, and all that'd be great. <laughs> no, I don't want you to do it. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Be good. Very nice meeting you. Yeah, right. nice See meeting you, you too. Yeah. So you kind of jumped the gun on this. The thing that we usually like to end on is since this is about like where you came from and how that kind mm -hmm. of shaped your voice, what do you do when you go back there? But you've bounced around a lot. You've been all over. I'm going to let you pick a hometown where you would want to take someone out for a day, an evening. And what would you do there? So the idea being like, if I was going to go back to my hometown, my original place of inspiration. That was the original idea. But the more we've done this, the more we've talked to people who have bounced around a lot and have claimed home as places that they lived later in their lives. You know, they didn't have as much connection to some of the earlier spots. So it sounds like you have a strong connection to Baltimore. You could do that. Yeah, I definitely would do do here. As well as Bushwick. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I love New York and I was in New York for a long time and it's definitely always going to be home. But but this has really become home again in such an interesting way because, you know, living here till I was 11 and then not living here. I'd visit a lot, but like not living here till I was 25 for like a little bit and then oh. moving back here full time when I was 27. It's just, yeah, definitely yeah. this is this is home. So, yeah, if I was going to take someone out for a, a day in Baltimore, I would start with a you know walk in Druid Hill Park because I think it's, it's such a special place. Uh, it's the third oldest public park in the country, which a lot of people don't know. I did not know that. Yep. After Central Park and Fairmont Park, the oldest, the third oldest in the country. So have you ever run the dreaded Druid Hills? That's like right up the hill for me. So, yes, I have. Yeah, there's nice. some serious. So I walk them every single day, actually. I, I uh, Oh, yeah. It's part of my like mental health routine and to appreciate where I am to do a walk every morning, like up the trail and just do a little loop through the woods, like down that one of the big giant hills and then yeah. walk back to my house. So that's great. That's a big part of my life. So, I yeah, I'd start the day getting coffee at Cafe Los Sueños in Remington, which is the best coffee place in the world. I'm going to have to check that out. It is the best coffee you'll ever have. Carlos, the owner, just such a spectacular person. They roast their beans there. Amazing really? place. Yeah. Yeah. Where in Remington is it? It's on uh, 28th and Miles. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to look. 10 out of 10. The best coffee you'll... I'm not overselling it. I promise. It is... <laughs> I'm always looking for a good place. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I, I'm also shouldn't... Fully, and Common Ground Cafe is amazing, too. I used to work there. And the mm. new coffee there is so spectacular since it became worker-owned. Um, Common Ground? Common Ground in Hamden. Nice. Uh, okay. Yeah. Have to shout them out as well. Cool. But, um, but yeah, so I do a walk in Druid Hill Park with co coffee from Cafe Los Sueños. Mm -hmm. I'd probably have to take someone down to walk around Fells. And you have to walk. You park your car and have to walk down Bond Street past the red factory because it smells it's like the best smelling <laughs> part of the whole city yeah and then do definitely. yeah do, do a little lap around fells and then go to the aquarium and then in once it's like more evening time there's so many good food spots but i'd probably have to go to dylan's uh oyster cellar and on uh the avenue uh in hamden on 36th street and chestnut for mm. dinner Okay. So good. And Dylan is really awesome. And everyone who works there is really great. So I'd, I'd have to go there. And then I'd start the evening at Melanie's in Hamden, an amazing bar my friend Hannah owns. And then. Which one is Melanie's? 
It's right like right across from Bluebird. Yeah, I know Bluebird. I've been in there. It's awesome. It's a great little dot. Don't get me wrong. I love Bluebird and everything, but that's fancy. A little out of my <laughs> price range. I'll go there for one drink every six months, you know. Right. But yeah, Melanie's is fantastic. So I'd probably go there. And then I love taking the light rail. It's actually a huge part of my life because it's so close to me. So I would probably take the light rail down to Mount Vernon and go to to Sugarvale, which is a great uh, little cocktail bar down there, and then work my way up through Mount Vernon to Station North, go to Club Charles, the greatest bar in the entire world. Love it so dearly. It's my, I always, I call it my living room bar. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I'd probably go bounce between there. Uh, Royal Blue, if you've ever been there, it's a, another great spot in that neighborhood. Maybe if there was time to catch a movie at the Charles Theater, of course, doing that is always amazing. I used to go to the Charles Theater so much. I haven't been in a long time. When my wife and I were dating, we did several weeks in a row when they were doing like a Hitchcock revival. Oh, shit. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah really I, cool. I I love and it's so affordable compared to other theaters. And it's like, the I think yeah. it's the oldest theater in the city, right? Oh, it's got to be. I mean, it feels yeah. like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I love it there. But I mean, there's so many things to do. I'm sorry. This answer is just all over the place. But no, um, I love this answer. This is a very good day. Okay, yeah. So I would I would definitely try to catch a movie if there was time, or catch a show at Autobar or Metro or the Compound or the Crown. But I mean, Autobar. I think Rolling Stone ranked it in the top ten music venues in the country. Um, wow. You know, we have like such a great li- live spaces. So I I definitely try to make sure I hit Autobar and Club Charles in one night. That's like yeah. the perfect night out in in Baltimore, in my opinion. I love um, Autobar. Who did I last see there? I, I saw Jay Roddy's new band mm-hmm. and I saw Delta Spirit there a little while ago, but they get like some surprising acts every once in a while. I saw Sleigh Bells like right before they broke there. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I love Sleigh Bells. They're so cool. Yeah. They were uh, fun. My friends, uh, my friend's band Deeper from Chicago played there recently. They were amazing. Nation of Language played there. That was incredible. Okay. Yeah, there's been so many great shows in the last year there. Also, I I love that some of the bigger acts here still like Turnstile will still do like shows there. And even though they're now like one of the biggest bands. Yeah, they're gigantic. I I would love to see them at Autobar. That'd be fun. Yeah, I I love it so much there. I'm thinking food wise, if there was. uh, Oh, and you have to end the night with getting some Rofo, of course. Uh, (laughs) Got to get some. What are you getting there? I'm getting I get the chicken tender slider. That's my okay. my go to. They're one. they're really they're bomb. So, yeah, I think that's a pretty close to a perfect day. You know, if there were a few days, I would definitely throw it. Uh, like if it was a Monday night, a burger night at Twenty uh, Ninth uh, Street Tavern in Remington. It's mm-hmm. the best affordable burger you're gonna get in the city. Really? Um, yeah, I love their burger. I also the one at Rocket to Venus is really good too. I, I, I have had that. Great. But but yeah, 29th Street Tavern's Burger is my my number one kind of affordable dive bar-y sort of local places. Perfect. So. Yeah, that's what I want. So I think that's like most of the day that I would do here. I'm trying to think if I'm missing it. Yeah, walk into Circle Falls is another great one from where I am because you mm-hmm. just walk along the Falls way and that's really beautiful. Getting to go down to Patterson Park is pretty cool, but I'm, I'm team Druid Hill Park for sure. Yeah, I think that's a better one. Yeah, it's just it's like you're really in the woods when you're there's some of those paths where you're just like totally in the middle of the forest, which is awesome. But also yeah. in the middle of the city. I just have woods like out the window right now. It's just like looks nice. like I'm in the middle of the forest where I yeah. have my studio set up downstairs is like 
looks out. I, I've I've posted some photos of it, but um, I think maybe my one of my last posts on Instagram it has like a photo like out the window, and it's just like my speakers and then just forest. But nice. I'm like in the middle of the city. I'm like the light rails right there. I can go down. Yeah, yeah not many places you get that. Yeah, and and that's part of why I have to do this like woods walk because I there's a lot of stuff I miss about New York and Chicago and everything, but. What I like, my quality of life here is so good, and I I, mm-hmm. I credit this city with giving me so much. And I think that the people who stay here and are committed to this city are really about understanding that like it, it's all of our responsibility to make this place shine and to make it really special. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, the city gets a bad rap too often, and there's a lot of great stuff here. I see, like you know, John Waters still goes to Club Chuck like once every few weeks. You know, like there's just like the people cool. who are committed to this city are so so committed to it. And yeah, you know, he has some quote that I loved. We were talking about how Baltimore is like this strange place with such extreme style, and then it's like if it's like if every weirdo from the South started driving north and just ran out of gas and stayed. That's like what Baltimore is. <laughs> I mean, parts of it, he's not wrong. That's yeah. You know, it's just like, I, I don't know. I just, I, I love that idea though, about this being this place where everyone just kind of ended up and then it's so special. And yeah. You know, as someone who's like, I've also gotten to live in so many places. It's the smallest city I've ever lived in. You know, Cairo's mm-hmm. like 20 million people. New York's oh my gosh. 9 million. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cairo's way bigger, like double New York. Yeah. This was, this is the smallest place I've been, but it is, it's just so special how committed everyone that I know is to making it even more special and supporting. Yeah. And, uh, I like that you gave such a diverse, big sort of stretched out walking path around different parts of the city, because Mm -hmm. I mean, there are neighborhoods, but they all bleed into each other here and you can easily hop around to all of them. Whereas in Bushwick, I'm sure you stayed in Bushwick most of the time. I mean, I was very into trying to not do that, but it was also <laughs> not what most of my friends did. Yeah, right. I I made sure to work and bike and subway all around the city. And part of it was like going to uh, school up in the Bronx. So like really mm-hmm. having okay. to learn the subway system really well. And I have a lot of friends who when I visit and will like go get food in the East Village, they're like, wow, I haven't been to Manhattan in like six months. And I'm like, how? <laughs> how do you, are you not? Just like, how did that right happen? There. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Like, how did you just not? I don't know. Yeah. My most recently when I lived there, I was in Williamsburg and I used to just try every day, like the same way I have my walk here. I was right by the Williamsburg Bridge. So I just walked or run to Manhattan every day yeah. over the bridge. And it was so special to get to do that. I, wherever I am, I have to find that thing to make me remind myself all the time why it's special that I get to be in that space. So. Yeah, a couple of buddies and I right at the end of the pandemic went and just did like a brewery tour in Brooklyn for the weekend. That's awesome. Yeah, we had 10 places mapped out and then we were like, all right, let's we're going to stay in the middle of them and we're just going to walk around for a few days and hit everything else in between. What part of Brooklyn were you in? It was close to Greenpoint. Oh, okay. So Williamsburg is like right south of Greenpoint. So yeah, I mean, we walked through Williamsburg. It's a cool, it's a really cool area. I love Greenpoint. That's where I worked, first started working and uh, used to have this venue, Brooklyn Bazaar, that I played some crazy shows at when I was in college. I played with Y. Do you know the band Y with a question mark? No. They were like a Cincinnati trip hop band that I was obsessed with in high school. And I got okay. to play with them and it was with my college band. That was like a highlight for me. Nice. Yeah. 
I would love to also just say, like, there's so many good local artists everyone should check out. I'm not going to remember the names of all of them, but you should check out Moontide Gallery if you haven't. That's uh, my friend Mason's band. This is here in Baltimore. Yeah. Noir Benny is another great. He's a great rapper. Uh, Ias, Nina Gala, uh, who I mentioned before, who I played with. There's just endless tomato flower. There's just endless good music here. Jupiter Rex is another great one. Uh, my friend Tariq's project, Infinity Knives, he's the one who did the interview with me for uh, Baltimore Fishbowl. Mm, Mar- yeah, Mar- yeah, yeah. I thought he knew that name. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, his project uh, with Brian Ennels is just so unbelievable. Their last record, I got so much love on like Pitchfork and a bunch of different places. So there's all these people oh, wow. kind of breaking out right now. Yeah, yeah with, it's it's funny. Not everyone knows them here, but when they tour the UK, they like will sell out everywhere. It's crazy. That's so crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, so there's just like a lot going on, and it's it's. I'm I'm so grateful to be here, and yeah, I love hearing that. All right, I, I can't keep you much longer. Oh, the one other thing I wanted to add was, uh, yeah, it's very cool to be on a podcast for the first time. Lyric, my sister. Her first time being on a record really was this her doing it was a Thursday. And now I'm on a podcast for the first time, but that's what she does for a living. She's a podcaster. So no kidding. Yeah. She works at Freakonomics. Wow. So yeah. So she's a serious podcast. Yeah. I called her this morning and told her I was doing this and she was really excited about it. So oh, that's so cool. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Wonderful. Yeah, this was fun. Yeah, this is really great. It's super nice meeting you. Take care. Yeah, nice meeting you too.